0: Hey everybody, this is Nathan. Sound of Sanity right around the bend. But first, just a quick note. If you're listening to this in iTunes or certain places, you may notice that the episode is marked, once again, for adults only. And I would suggest that people abide by that.
1: That's because we're dealing with some awful sins in a pretty direct way. There's no other way to deal with them but directly. That means this is not the kind of thing that's appropriate for children.
0: So just be warned about that. And all right, here we go. You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue. For the Duration of the Program. Good news, Ben. Today's episode is brought to our fine listeners by our returning sponsor, the world's first Christian mattress for single people.
2: What's this, Nathan? Something tells me you're referring to the celibate. That's right, Ben.
0: The celibate. I hope all the young men will pay special attention to this segment as we're
2: talking about the first mattress designed exclusively for the unmarried Christian. That's right, Nathan, because there are some guys who will stay single their whole lives. Accepting that fact is the first step toward crippling depression. Or it was until
0: the celibed. You know, when I was a young man, I thought I would go out there and immediately marry some sexy, gorgeous supermodel. Nowadays, I'd settle for a humble,
2: helpful supermodel. I have standards too, Nathan. What I want in a woman is bare minimum, a skeleton with skin and an animating spirit. Why aren't we married? I don't know, Nathan.
0: I'll tell you what doesn't help, though. It's the church's attitude towards single guys, especially those of us that may not be called to matrimony
2: You're telling me, Nathan Just yesterday, my pastor wanted to pay me some money to mow his grass And it's like, he never asks the guy with the wife and nine kids to do that Yeah, it's like, what possible reason would you have for not asking the guy with a wife and nine kids to do that? Yeah, it's like, just because I'm single doesn't mean I'm made of time Besides, let's be honest I think the guy with nine kids needs that money a little more than I do. Yeah, dog. It's like my pastor doesn't even care. And I'll tell you who else doesn't care. Big Mattress.
0: That's right, Ben. All they care about is making a queen or king-sized profit off of married folks.
2: But not everybody needs to fit, like, nine people in one bed. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is not an
0: episode of Sister Wives. No, Ben. It's like the opposite. And that's why the Celebed was perfected for us singles. It features three layers of foam engineered to perfectly absorb your tears of loneliness. But that's just it, Nathan. What if I feel like I'm called to the marriage bed? Well, that does happen, Ben. And as we mentioned in our last ad, some people's celibeds will just suddenly go up in flames, and they'll be forced to get a marriage bed in a hurry.
2: But marriage beds, while they may seem fun at first, require years of hard work and responsibility, whereas the celibed takes almost no effort whatsoever. That's
0: absolutely right. And if you're frightened by the prospect of a marriage bed, as I know so many people are, a cell-a-bed may be perfect for you. even if you're interested in working toward a
2: marriage bed, you'd be surprised how easy the cell-a-bed is to just kind of slip into. And it arrives in a box the size of the mini fridge you keep your Jack's frozen pizza stocked in. You open it up and it expands with a simpering wine. Oh, that sound. So
0: young men? and young ladies order your celibate today and lose that nagging sense of responsibility you have to get married just lose that responsibility
2: lose that responsibility in fact you can save 15 percent at checkout using the offer code lose our loser the celibate. is there anything a couple
0: can do with a marriage bed that you can't do with a celibate well and we're out of time Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Oberson, your humble and obedient host, agent provocateur, joining you for another week. Over there, we got the pastor, who is a master of everything that his hand undertakes. How are you doing today, Jacob?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you, Nathan?
0: I'm doing fantastic, sir. I'm so glad that you asked. And I'm also glad to, not ask, but declare that we have benjamin souls are in the his house aren't? i'm in the his the his house you're in the his house you're turning the knobs and you're dying you're our beloved engineer guys today's episode is about the revoice conference which is being held about a month from now july 26th 28th i think that's about a month from when this episode's going to air it's going to be held at memorial presbyterian church in beautiful st louis missouri what is the revoice conference benjamin well nathan it's gross oh sweet well, i'm glad we cleared that up thanks for listening boys and girls
2: i'm uh, not so sure that cleared anything up guys That didn't clear that up i shall clear it up success the revoice <laughs> conference is an evangelical christian conference hosted by a pca church If we're just looking at what represents
0: broad mainstream evangelicalism, you've got, well, I guess the Catholics don't count, but they are a conservative voice. I guess they don't count as broad (laughs) mainstream evangelicalism, but they're a conservative voice in America. You got them. And then you've got what?
1: Then you've got the Southern Baptist Convention, which is huge and mainstream. And then you've got the more theologically united and grounded confessional Presbyterian church in America, which is the largest conservative Presbyterian church denomination, which isn't saying a whole lot. We were talking about 2,000 churches, mm-hmm. but still significant.
0: Yeah, I think what we're trying to say, this conference should be some solid biblical stuff, right, Mr. Solzer?
2: Well, um, I mean, sure, but it's not. Revoice 2018. Okay, it's a conference that's for the purpose of, and I'm going to quote from the website, quote, supporting, encouraging, and empowering Gay, lesbian, same sex attracted, and other LGBT Christians so they can experience the life giving character of the historic Christian tradition. Okay. um, We're supporting, encouraging, and empowering them to do what? To uh, experience the life giving character of the historic Christian tradition.
0: Ben, are you sure you're reading that from the website and not some progressive
2: buzzword generator. Maybe the website used a progressive buzzword generator. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it might have. Yeah.
1: Progressive buzzword generator would be a little bit more tactful. Uh, mm. Maybe so. A
0: progressive yeah, buzzword generator awful, might actually do a better job. <laughs> What's that movie the robot from Solo to write the copy for we this website? Hey, it might actually be so better. So
2: glad we're having this conference. I feel a little less hackneyed.
0: Supporting, encouraging, and empowering. Equal rights. <laughs> Equal
2: rights. <laughs> oh boy. Solo. Speaking of going solo, the conference has three aims. <laughs> so I'll quote the first one. New community. Gather together with other gender and sexual minorities and those who love them and experience a new kind of gospel community. Oh, sweet. So that's, that's number one. Number two is better
0: conversation. Listen to, learn from, and participate in conversations with speakers who bring a nuanced perspective to the table of discussion.
1: Ah, the table of discussion. The table
0: of discussion.
1: Here's the third aim, quote, diverse collective. Benefit from curated presentations on a wide variety of topics related to LGBT experience and the historic Christian sexual ethic. Wow. It's like John Calvin
0: himself came back from the dead and is writing this stuff.
1: Yeah, it reads exactly like uh, one of the church fathers. The Apostle Paul was always talking about experiencing a new kind of gospel community.
0: Well, his, his gospel community was actually getting kind of old, so it's nice that someone came up with a new one.
2: Yeah, Martin Luther, he was always um, curating presentations on a wide variety of topics. He was always curating debates about justification. Well, that's what we read in the Great Commission. Uh, Go, therefore, into all the world and
0: curate ethical presentations. Teaching them to observe a nuanced perspective on the table of discussion. Oh, shoot! Uh, What what was that sound?
2: Is everybody okay? Uh, Everybody okay? We kind of broke the sarcasm meter, you guys. (laughs) You installed the sarcasm meter? Well, one day it occurred to me that sometimes we're being pretty sarcastic just, Can't imagine what you mean, Ben. But the next step was clearly, well, install the sarcasm meter. I mean, how far are we really going? We it need to measure like the level. like something Ollie would do in Hrothgar's hall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It is something he would do. It's also something I would do. I don't know why. We're so wait a similar. second. Wait a second. How much does this sarcasm meter cost? Not that much, Jake. Not for what you're getting. It didn't even break a 1,000. The one that just busted, at least. <laughs> of course, prototype. There were some research and development costs. We, we paid for re- R&D. Good luck getting those uh, those uh, receipts. Uh. Well, well, Jake, you got to spend money to spend money. That logic holds, I don't think but I don't, think, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's the way that we want to <laughs> run Warhorn war, Media. It does sound a little tautological now that you mention it. Eh?
0: <laughs> anyway. 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 Guys, I don't know what else to say about this
1: conference. Well, well, no, I think we should go a little bit further because there are some fun workshops, too, and
0: it'd be cool to... Uh, okay let's just goes. let's just bear in mind oh, we boy. broke the sarcasm meter so <laughs> okay um, that was it right. this isn't sarcastic these. this is just going to be what they actually are doing so these are some of the workshops as listed on the website Revoice. these are quotes US. this
1: is not us doing a parody of what some liberal pcusa conference no, no, no. Would be. this is this is not one this of our is little an skits. actual pca conference yeah. okay
0: Here's one. Rekindling hope as a sexual minority in the church. And here's, 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 I like this one. Journey to embrace, colon, a conversation on empowering the church to embrace the LGBT plus community in fresh ways.
2: And here's one of my favorites. Possibility models in queer theory and literature, colon, an adventure. Wait, wait. <laughs> There's a colon, and after the colon, it says, an adventure? Don't you want to go on an adventure, Jake? <laughs>
0: because, well, I mean, I think it makes sense. When I think adventure, you know, I think The Hobbit. I think Indiana Jones. And possibility models in queer theory and literature. That, yeah. That's oh, right. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> uh, exciting stuff. Yeah. Um, there's also, and I'm not making this up, there's both a panel discussion and a presentation, which are both separately entitled, So Why Can We eat Shellfish?
1: I assume what they're going to do is just read Acts
0: 15. Nope. <laughs> uh, and, and then say, because the Bible says so. No, the full uh, the full name of the presentation and the panel is actually, so why can we eat shellfish, dot, 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 a look at Leviticus and how it relates to questions of sexuality today. Uh, uh, let's not forget, quote, coming out in the shadow of the cross.
1: Queer visibility as redemptive suffering. Uh, Queer visibility as redemptive that's, suffering. That's blasphemous. That's I'm blasphemy, sorry. Yep.
0: It's really bad. It reminds me of those dumb, over the top skits that we do for our movie episodes. i, I, where, I was thinking to this, like we the turn pop, every movie. We into- could not
1: have come up with something. This rich for the popcorn coalition, right,
0: where we're just <laughs> it's pretending like every movie suffering. is about redemptive sacrifice. No, this is actually no. that <laughs> it's a,
1: yep. redemptive sacrifice. It's a redemptive for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. really... it's like these guys would listen to that show and take inspiration from it, or something.
0: What do you guys want to say about the, the Revoice conference?
1: There's a Presbyterian pastor named Al Baker, and he gave us a good start. He wrote an article that basically says a lot of it for us. Here's a quote. Quote, note the inclusive language on the website, gay, lesbian, LGBT Christians. My friends, must I state the obvious? Practicing homosexuals are no more Christians than are practicing fornicators, adulterers, drunkards, swindlers, or thieves. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. There is no such thing as LGBT gay or lesbian Christians. There is no such thing as a Christian drug dealer, a Christian stripper, a Christian thief, a Christian liar. Paul clearly states that all such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. There has never been a time in the Orthodox Christian church where homosexuals have been considered Christians. End quote.
2: I just want to say, I posted that quote on Facebook and a Facebook friend of mine said, well, that's not fair because we're not talking about practicing homosexuals. We're talking about homosexuals who are going to be celibate. And I thought, a practicing homosexual... Here is someone
1: who identifies as a
2: homosexual. That's right. They're going right. to live out identity. Mm-hmm. I had identity. the same thought, and then I thought, you know
1: what? He's absolutely right to say it the way that he said it for yeah. that reason. Mm, if you're yeah. identifying as a homosexual Christian, it's like identifying as an adulterous That's Christian right. or mm-hmm. as a fornicating Christian or whatever. And I am an adulterous Christian.
0: That's but I'm sorry. celibate.
1: I don't act on my I don't adulterous. act on those uh. adulterous temptations. I just accept them as part. No, you're not allowed to accept them, and they're not allowed to define you.
0: Very clearly, I think. Such were some
1: of you. That's uh, the passage that he
0: references. Such were, not such are some of you. Grammar is important. Yeah, yeah. Um, Greg Johnson, the senior pastor of Memorial Presbyterian, they're the folks that are posting this conference. He wrote a piece in response to Baker, and we'll, we'll link to both of these in the show notes.
2: Here's a quote from that. So, quote, why are we hosting this gathering? Because there are a lot of gay men and women becoming Christians, or who grew up in Christian homes, and found themselves attracted to the same sex. They aren't always sure what that means for their sexuality or for their church life. They want to obey God, but they often feel like they don't fit in the body of Christ. The goal of the conference is to help those who believe in the historic biblical sexual ethic figure out how to thrive within churches that share those biblical commitments. (sighs) So,
1: thankfully, a couple of godly pastors in the PCA, so that... Andrew Dion, uh, who pastors a church in South Carolina, Andy Halsey, who pastors a church in Mississippi, they both responded extensively to Johnson in detail on our very own warhornmedia.com.
0: Yeah, we'll link to their work in the show notes. They have a multi-part series responding basically to Johnson's post, and so lots of thanks to them. Yeah, you'll want to check
1: that out because they really pick it Mm -hmm. apart in detail and show you exactly what's going on. But anybody with eyes to see and ears to hear, all they need to do is read the titles to know something is wrong with this stuff right
0: yeah it's it's just i mean it's kind of it flabbergasts me to read that because it's just so obvious it's it's really simple uh pastor baker al baker he really said it we don't host conferences, you know, coddling and celebrating Christian strippers, Christian murderers. Homosexuality is a sin.
2: That's how the Bible talks about it. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Oh, but that's probably on the order of shellfish. It probably <laughs> right? is. And that just raises
0: the question. We need to nuance this, right? Right. We need to bring a more nuanced perspective to the table. It'll be an, an adventure, discussion. Nathan. Yeah, it'll be an adventure. <laughs> All right, so listen, we've already picked this stuff apart. Yeah, yeah, we actually have. Yeah. For a really uh, much more thorough treatment of this, there are two resources from our very own Warhorn Media. You can listen to the first season of our podcast, The World We Made. It's eight episodes long
1: 15 to 22 minute episodes, 18 to 22 minutes. Yeah, it's a really minute. easy listen to yeah. take you a couple easy hours. Easy
0: to binge it. It's me, it's Jake, it's, it's Pastor Tim Bailey. It's a really Tim good Bailey, start. You're pastor. Yep. We talk through all this stuff. It's a good primer. And then we have a book that goes into even more detail. It's called The Grace of Shame.
1: And that book doesn't just go into the biblical arguments, but it really does a good job of parsing and picking apart a lot of the arguments and movements out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I'm not just throwing those in as because I want to move product. Um, I, I just want people to know because we're going to speak in some shorthand today. We've got one episode to address this, so we go into greater detail in other places.
1: Yeah, and you should really, if you have questions about what we uh, say today or if you feel like we shortchanged an argument or whatever, that's the next place to go. But so here's the thing. Things like this conference and these movements, they happen all the time, and they're happening in places that people trust as being biblical and conservative and conservative- on sexuality whether it's the
0: gospel coalition crowd or the PCA right yeah the PCA which is conservative you know supposed to be a conservative bulwark of christian faith in america which actually brings us <laughs> to a fun game guess the college okay so this conference is being held in a PCA church but pastor Al Baker in the article against this he says what ben
2: he says, quote, This conference is being held at a Presbyterian Church in America Church. Perhaps none of the teaching or ruling elders at Memorial Presbyterian Church are leading any of the workshops. And perhaps no ruling or teaching elders in the PCA are either. I certainly hope not. Now,
1: Covenant Seminary is the flagship seminary of the PCA. It is operated by a board of trustees elected by the General Assembly of the PCA. It exists to train pastors to go into the PCA.
0: And after them, you know, in in, in this circle, it would be... Maybe Gordon Conwell, which was... Founded by Billy
1: Graham and others.
0: Right, right. So, along with Pastor Al Baker, I, gentlemen, I am hoping that nobody truly associated with the PCA, nobody, for example, from those seminaries, those bedrocks of historic Christian faith, is speaking at this conference. I'm going to. Tell you some key facts about each of these speakers. If where they're, they are educated is in fact listed, then I will allow you to guess. You guys ready to play this fun game? Yeah. Let's play it. All right. Wesley Hill, the keynote speaker. And he's ass- a keynote speaker, assistant so... professor of biblical studies somewhere. Probably a public. Nope. He had his, his BA from Wheaton. He also went to Durham, so Jake's kind of right. But then he went to Bethlehem College and Seminary, which again. Well, puts- Bethlehem, like. Minneapolis, Minnesota, John Piper, Bethlehem. (laughs) (laughs) And vice president of academics at Covenant Theological Seminary. right. (laughs) Yes, she's got her Master's of Arts in Counseling from Covenant Theological Seminary. You'll never guess where he went to college. Covenant, yeah. That's absolutely right. (laughs) Incorrect. Covenant Theological Seminary. right. (laughs) Self-described as a happy lesbian. Instructor
1: of New Testament interpretation at Al Mohler's Southern Seminary.
0: Yup. <laughs> this is my favorite. Dr. Preston Sprinkle. I just really like this guy's name. <laughs> He's RUF. It's got to be Covenant. Covenant. That's absolutely right. Yeah, yo. No. Gordon, Gordon Conwell. Conwell. Yeah. He also Sounds enjoys like hosting dinner parties. Reverend Michelle Sanchez. Is it one of those guys that's named oh, Michelle? No, boy. it's a lady. Gordon Conwell. Gordon Conwell, theological seminary. we just mentioned it? Gordon Conwell. Gordon Conwell. He's the creator of Covenant Seminary and a lifelong musician. Who's Covenant? Nope. Gordon Conwell. Yes. Gordon Conwell. Ah, uh, got one. Covenant. That's absolutely yep. right. Well, Covenant. That's absolutely right. I don't know if we've mentioned this one yet. Covenant's and Nope. Oh, you're being serious. Wheaton. That's absolutely right. That's how you play Guess the College. Of the 32 people listed as keynote speakers or presenters for this conference, what percentage of them went to a conservative supposedly faithful kind of a place. 60%. 60%. And
1: 25% of them come from covenant.
0: Okay. That's not good. Not good. <laughs> not good. Sorry. I guess that was the point of that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was the point of that. Let he who has ears hear on that one. So just to sum up what we've been saying so far, this thing is hosted by a PCA church. It's got a whole bunch of people Who are from supposedly stalwart institutions? Stalwart, faithful, conservative Christian institutions Mm -hmm. are putting this on, um, and yet a number of
2: them are female pastors, self-declared lesbians. Uh, The spiritual friendship movement from Mm -hmm. West Hill is not exactly a healthy thing. And then you got Dr. Preston
0: Sprinkle, Dr. Sprinkle. He likes. He thinks a a rack of ribs could ruin his sanctification. Dr. (laughs) Sprinkle. Boy, that's a funny joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Ah, Yes. All right. Well, the Revoice Conference is not good not Bad. good wicked I guess that's all we wanted to say about that that's pretty obvious yeah thanks for listening every bone ah. <laughs> I can't believe it I thought the thing got ripped out of the wall
1: picked up by Ollie and moved into Hrothgar's hall I don't know who put it there okay? <laughs> it was I didn't it was kind of thing that Ollie might have done if you talked to him well, it's you not, have to it's, be really careful when you
2: talk to it's that it's guy it's not important it's clearly a mistake this is a slam dunk we just we just dunked it so it doesn't you know yeah, it's, it's the, just an error the, that de- it's going the devil's the not going to be able to do much with this one, I don't no, no. think.
0: I don't know, Jake. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna start us out as, the, as, as uh, the devil here. I should say the D alarm is what just went off, and that indicates the part of the show where someone has to argue for the opposite position of what we've been arguing. So we've basically been arguing that the Revoice Conference is is A, really, really bad, B, really, really obviously bad, and C, it's very, very sad. Sorry, I'm not trying to do a Dr. Seuss thing here, but it's very, very sad (laughs) that, that all these people from supposedly conservative, good, faithful organizations are enabling and empowering and encouraging this conference. Devil, what do you have to say to that? Number one, I just want to deal
1: with this cheap shot you just took right right out of the gate. You listed all these colleges. There's no way you can actually connect that to this conference. None. Lots of people have graduated from these institutions, just like lots of people attend your church. If somebody in your church were, say, arrested for doing something stupid and the buzz was, oh, that person goes to Clear Note Church, you would take offense that that person's sin was made to characterize the entire church that you come from. You'd say, no, church is a place of sinners. Sinners
0: attend our church. Sinners attend colleges too. Some of these people are staff and faculty and luminaries within those organizations. First of all, I'm not sure the Southern Baptist guy actually is currently an instructor. I think he probably was while he was doing his PhD because it said uh, instructor. Then you've got Jay Sklar, though, who's the vice president of academics at Covenant.
1: Okay, two things about that. All right, one, okay, I'll give you, he's an actual Old Testament professor and, and vice president of academics at Covenant. He doesn't represent the entire staff for one. And two... You don't know what he's going to say at this conference.
0: Do you, do you know what his workshop is on? We might be able to find out, but I don't know right at the second. No, I don't have it in front of me. This, okay, so the, there's a, uh,
1: an obvious counter argument that could be made: not knowing what is going to what the content of these sessions are going to be, and that's that. Look at all of these conservative institutions that are represented here probably everything going on is going to be good because these guys come from good places. Bethlehem College and Seminary, Al Mohler, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Covenant, the flagship seminary of the PCA. Let's give these guys some credit and let's assume the, the, the best here and hope for the best. Either way, my point is it's a flimsy thing to do and it's a cheap shot to take at the PCA and Covenant
0: Seminary. Mm-hmm. So, boom, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but even there, you're saying... Well, you don't know. Maybe these guys will say something that's not like what their website and all their content. You seem to be giving me, devil, a pretty big point, which is that this conference sounds like crap. <laughs> it sounds
1: like crap, but that doesn't make it crap. You don't have any clue what the substance is of what they're saying. What you, what you did read, so it gave you plausible deniability... But refuse to actually acknowledge is that all of these people are committed to a biblical sexual ethic. And that ethic, as they define it, is that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Sex is made for a man and a woman. If you have same sex temptations, you are not allowed to act on those desires. That's what they are calling people to. So here is a conference of people who believe what the Bible teaches about marriage and sex, and they're trying to stand in the gap and acknowledge the fact that there are a whole bunch of people out there who are tempted by same-sex desires and they're trying to look at these people and love them and say there are many people out there who are tempted by same-sex desires and they find it difficult to talk about that. And so what are they supposed to do? How are we supposed to love these people? These people are growing up in our churches. Some parents have kids this way and they're afraid to talk about it. The kids are afraid to talk about it. Parents don't know how to deal with it. Grown adults who spent five, 10 years of their lives hiding this stuff, letting it drive them into depression, into despair, into thoughts of suicide and self-harm. Here are people willing to call those who are tempted that way to celibacy and to also talk about their temptations and desires because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what this show says over and over again is that we're made for community. We're made for the church. We're made for each other. We have to be able to confess our sins to one another. We have to be able to talk about our temptations and the things that drive us and the things we're afraid of. There are a whole bunch of people who don't feel safe to talk about the things that tempt them. What what are you supposed to, to do? What are you supposed to tell those people? here are a group of people who are out there trying to offer something. And their way of doing that is better than your way of not. And they're taking fire now from both sides. They're out there trying to love people. They're taking fire from the LGBT people on the left-hand side who are saying, no, you should simply embrace your temptations as your identity and as your, it's just the way God made you. You're born that way. And so embrace it. And people, on the other hand, saying, won't you just shut up and stop trying to love and help people by talking about this stuff?
0: It's not fair. If they were actually doing what you just said, everything that you described sounded great. Sounds great. But then I see, we see things like this. We see, we hear some of the language that they use and we see things like we alluded to earlier, possibility models in queer theory and literature an adventure for the sexual minority seeking to submit his or her life fully to Christ and to the historic Christian sexual ethic. Sup seeking to submit their life fully to Christ and the historical Christian sexual ethic, which they
1: define as marriage is for a man and a woman, sex is for a man and a woman in the context of marriage.
0: Okay, fantastic. We're on the same page so far, but but, but uh, hold on to your hat here, Mr. Devil. Uh, to the... I just
1: want you to not gloss that over, and uh, I want you to acknowledge that that's what they say okay. over and over and over again.
0: Consider it not glossed. Queer culture presents a bit of a dilemma. Rather than combing through and analyzing to find which parts are to be rejected, to be redeemed, or to be received with joy. Christians have often discarded the virtues of queer culture along with the vices, which leaves culturally connected Christian sexual minorities torn between two cultures, two histories, two communities. So, questions that have until now been largely unanswered remain. What does queer culture, and specifically queer literature and theory, have to offer us who follow Christ? What queer treasure, honor, and glory will be brought into the New Jerusalem at the end of time? And I guess you might argue that all the answers to that question would be no, none. (laughs) But it's possible that that's what that... Uh, sessions. Yeah, it's possible that it's just a very, very poorly written and/or intentionally misleading and provocative ad copy. There, also possible. But it's also possible that
1: the way they're going to define queer culture is.
0: But why would they even talk about talk like that? To use uh, Pastor Al Baker's, uh, it, what if this read? So questions that have until now been largely unanswered remain. What does stripper culture and specifically stripper literature and theory have to offer us who follow Christ? What stripper treasure, honor, and glory will be brought into the new? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it really starts to feel like they're sanctifying something that God has called an abomination.
1: Okay. But maybe these people are in movement and they're trying to move in the right direction. And they haven't gotten so far as to see that culture is just culture. How can culture be intrinsically moral? Okay, fine. Let me make you define queer culture and define what's more morally wrong
0: about it our friend Wikipedia describes LGBT culture, is a culture shared by lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning. LGBT culture varies widely by geography and the identity of the participants. Elements common to cultures of gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and intersex people include works by famous gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender, contemporary LGBT artists and political figures, historical figures identified as LGBT, what if
1: they're just talking about not burning the books of Oscar Wilde just because he was gay?
0: You think that that's honestly what they're talking about?
1: I don't I've, know what they're talking about. Yeah, I, the that, conference that hasn't is, happened yet. That is yet.
0: exactly the point. That is exactly the point. They are being intentionally cagey. They're they're leaving this hugely, largely undefined. It's just- And they're talking about queer treasure,
2: man. Come on. They're going to bring queer treasure into heaven. Yeah, what does that even mean?
0: If you're asking me whether I like
2: Elton John, okay fine. Is Elton John's music gay? Is it queer culture? But so now you're saying that anything a queer person makes is part of queer culture. So if That's what the definition sounded like that it was saying. No, I think queer culture is anything that
1: uh Well, you know what, desires. you're a guy sitting over there and what you think about it doesn't matter. You can't condemn what you can't define. You can't condemn that talk until you've been there and you've heard what he actually has to say.
0: Okay, devil. Well, you've managed to obfuscate and confuse and behind all, all I have there. done is point out that you don't actually know something specific. I think maybe all about. you've done is point out that you don't know something specific, <laughs> <laughs> but, but <laughs> neither one of us, that they actually haven't defined any. Anyway, let's move on from that. How about this one? This is another one. It's called heartbreak and celibacy. How do you live with heartbreak when you are never supposed to fall in love? What happens when you fall in love with a friend and you don't want to ruin a friendship? Now, again, let's use Pastor Al Baker's formula here. How, how do you live with heartbreak when you wanted to be a stripper and strip for money, but you found out that you can't. Yeah, that's not one-to-one. You can't use that for this one. Why isn't it one-to-one?
1: It sounds to me, what you're describing, sounds to me like you've got a Christian who is struggling with same-sex attraction and trying to make friends with somebody of their own sex. Like they're supposed, cause they can't, you can't expect people to be lonely. They should be allowed to have friends. What happens because of the when because of the nature of their temptations they take things too far in their hearts and their minds and they know that that's wrong and it's heartbreaking for them. How are they supposed to deal with that? Are you are you saying that it's bad to have a talk at a conference addressing that sort of thing? It sounds like a really practical, helpful kind of thing to
2: me.
0: Okay, so anything, any one of these talks that I, no matter how kooky they sound, that I throw at you, you're going to be able to say, well, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this let me just ask a broader question then. The Bible says that uses words like abomination. The Bible uses uh, shall we, shall we say condemnatory language. Okay. Why isn't any of this language condemnatory? Why is why is it affirming? Why is all this language affirming so exactly what the progressive world would want it to be? Why why is it Because it's the, in the context of the PCA
1: and it's not about condemning uh, sin that is already openly and widely condemned in those circles. It's about making space for people who face those temptations to talk about
0: it. But why does making space sound so much like celebrating? Maybe it
1: sounds celebratory to you because you're not the one living in a constant state of despair while being surrounded by the context of deeply conservative, icky, yuck factor, we don't talk about this because it's gross, conserva- or Christian conservatism. The apostle paul was accused of being a libertine and promoting sin in the churches because of how much he talked about grace maybe these guys are just being especially gracious and it's grating to you because you're a pharisee
0: and and so when people accused the apostle paul of being a libertine he asked the question shall i then sin that grace may abound and he said may it never be the apostle paul he called homosexuality a degrading passion for example, I'm I'm scrolling. I'm, I'm doing a word search here on Revoice. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not finding that language here. Okay. The language of the scripture, the language of the compassionate friend to sinners, loving sinners, scripture. Okay. Okay. Look, you're right. They don't use that
1: language. The point of the conference isn't to condemn those particular sins, but to welcome in people who are living under. The condemnation of those sins and talk to them about real grace and real ways forward, real ways of dealing with their sin. And yeah, okay, fine. Maybe there should be that kind of language. But the fact is, here are people who are really earnestly trying to live in the middle, who are earnestly trying to live by faith and to live between the tension of, I am going to condemn this thing without compassion and without concern for anybody. And the people on the other side who are saying, embrace your sin and they're trying to be helpful to people. And like I said before, their way of doing that's better than your way of not. And so cut them some slack. They're going to make mistakes as they try to do that. But to pretend like they're just evil people while they're out there affirming a biblical sexual ethic, affirming the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman, the proper context of sex being within that marriage, and telling people who are tempted by same-sex desires you can't have you can't consummate those desires man this stuff is messy and it's hard and everybody out there is pushing and pushing and pushing and the culture is pushing and pushing and pushing And there are very few people out there who are standing uh, for anything biblical while also looking people square in the eyes and telling them i love you and god loves you and there's help and there's hope for you and you don't have to go kill yourself you don't have to give in to despair so why don't you just cut them some slack and back off
2: does
0: that wrap up your 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 argument yeah I rest my case you rest your case for now
1: and I'll even go so far as to say you had a lot of points that are fair and I wasn't willing to give you in the moment but I really just think at the end of the day compassion has to be what wins
0: out alright well we're going to go to break and we will come back and we will answer the devil's advocate and discuss this some more after the break
1: For millennia, certain Christians have been ostracized, hurt, shamed by the very church called to love and help them. Some of them grew up in Christian homes, some of them came to faith later in life.
2: But whatever their background, now they find themselves saddled with a problem they didn't ask for and can't control. They find themselves alone,
1: frightened, wanting acceptance but knowing that their family, their church, their friends might be
2: slow to give it. or might not give it at all unable to embrace what the rest of society considers to be sexually normative
0: because these people are attracted
2: to pigs they're attracted to pigs they're attracted to pigs attracted to pigs and want to act on that attraction by having sex
1: with those pigs that's why the popcorn coalition and piggingout.org are putting on a new conference to talk about how we in the church can support
2: encourage and empower pig attracted christians so they can experience the life-giving character of the historic christian tradition
0: and also of the movie babe pig in the city or better the original babe or even gordy movies that can be hard for the pig attracted to watch because they find themselves attracted to the pig but did they ask to be attracted to the pig did
2: they make a choice to be attracted to the pig parents all over America are asking the wrong question. They're asking, how can I keep my child from being attracted to a pig? It's all some parents think about. Maybe
1: instead of denigrating the pig attracted, instead of making them feel unwelcome and unwanted at church, it's time to acknowledge that people who are attracted to
2: pigs can be a valuable and dare I say, beautiful part of the church body. At Pigging Out, we affirm that monogamous marriage between a male and female is the only biblical method of sexuality.
0: But people are born with different desires. You might be raised a Presbyterian and all the while know in your heart that you're a,
1: a pork And there are so many hurting in the LGBTQ
0: community. It's time to accept and even celebrate that some people are really attracted to pigs attracted to pigs attracted to pigs attracted
2: to pigs maybe instead of denying decrying or heterosplaining it's time for us to oink firm so
0: join us at oink formation 2018 there we'll experience a
2: new gospel community together
0: with people who are attracted to pigs.
2: And we'll join together in a conversation with a diverse array of speakers, including some who are, yes, attracted to pigs. We'll bring much needed nuance to the subject of people who are attracted to pigs. When did
1: people decide to stop being nuanced on the subject of being attracted to pigs? And how can
0: we redeem the culture of pig attraction? What does pig attracted culture have to offer to Christian culture? Is it time to do away with the body shaming of people who
2: eat pork rinds? What kind of language should we use in talking about the pig attracted?
0: We'll answer all those questions and more at oinkformation2018
2: And maybe, just maybe, we'll save lives. After all, if you tell a teenager that he or she shouldn't be attracted to a pig, they might feel ashamed or sad because they're attracted to pigs. Which is a good first step toward
1: not being attracted to pigs. But wait a second. The gospel-centered life isn't about not being attracted to pigs. Christianity is about so much more than not being attracted to pigs.
2: People are so focused on people being attracted to pigs or not attracted to pigs. And you know what? Maybe life's bigger. being attracted to pigs maybe the bible is about more than just not being attracted to pigs
0: one of the things we'll no doubt learn at our conference about being attracted to pigs sign up for our conference today
2: and be sure to check us out at piggingout.org
0: or go to our sister site wait what's that you know for people who are attracted to their
2: sister oh that can be difficult like being attracted to pigs attracted Pigs attracted to pigs, attracted to pigs, attracted to pigs, attracted to pigs, attracted to pigs,
0: attracted to pigs, attracted to pigs,
2: attracted to
0: pigs,
1: attracted to pigs, attracted
0: to pigs. All right, everybody, uh welcome back. So Actually, <laughs> it turns out there may have been a little more moral in that in that ad we just went to there. Sorry, guys, but it really is that black and white. These guys are calling what's good evil and what's evil good. You swap out homosexuality with something like bestiality, and suddenly this conference is just absurd. It's an absurd nightmare. And speaking of absurd nightmares, we can really begin to answer the devil, I think, by delving a little bit more into who these guys are in one of our favorite segments Monsters in the Attic. For now, let's restrict ourselves to talking about the two organizations that are largely represented at this conference and and what they kind of stand for. The first is the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Now,
1: two of the four keynote speakers at Revoice are listed as leaders for the center, Nate Collins and Greg Coles.
0: The president and founder of the center is our old friend, Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Uh, He's presenting a workshop at the conference. Any number of the leaders listed on this center's site are actually represented.
1: They have a statement of faith on their website, and then they have a statement of marriage, sexuality, and gender. Here's point one. Quote, according to God's design and intent, sex difference, male and female, is an intrinsic part of what marriage is. While same-sex marriage is legal in some countries, it does not represent a historical Christian view of marriage.
0: Well, so far, so good, I guess.
2: Point two, quote, all sex outside of marriage is sin. And point three, quote, the fall has corrupted God's original intent for human sexuality in all persons. Therefore, all people, straight or non-straight, experience corruption in their sexuality.
1: Point four, simply experiencing attraction to the same sex or being gay is not in itself a morally
0: culpable sin. Point five, God desires all males and females to express their gender in accordance with their biological sex. Okay, so there's some pretty solid sounding stuff in there, but there's also some uh, straight garbage. Right. We run into trouble at
1: point three where they establish the morally neutral categories of straight or non-straight. You fit into one of those two categories. You're either straight
2: or you're not. Point four comes right after that. It says that seems sex attraction is something that you experience. It's a passive experience. In other words, it's not an active one to be repented of. And therefore it is not in itself a morally culpable sin.
0: Which places these guys firmly in the camp of the gay Christian movement where Christians identify as gay, argue that homosexual desires are passive functions of nature, and basically advocate celibacy.
1: Here's an example of that from an article on their site entitled, You Don't Need to Pray That God Makes Me Straight by Greg Coles. Keynote speaker Greg Coles? You guys uh, nailed it. (laughs) Okay, here's the quote. Being gay doesn't make me uniquely broken as if I'm some slip of the divine chisel. It makes me just plain broken, like everybody else. I'm exactly unremarkable enough to be a recipient of grace. God is still welcome to make me straight if he wants to, just like he's welcome to turn water into wine or transform the entire cast of Hamilton into giant ferrets. But he doesn't seem too interested in doing
0: any of those things at the moment. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, oh, oh. Here's another one from Coles: Gay celibacy is weird, and that's a good thing. And he's explaining what it he, what he means when he calls himself a gay celibate Christian. In his words, quote. Apart from the words themselves, there's the weirdness of the claim I'm making. Being so in love with a 2,000-year-old Jewish guy that I choose not to pursue any of the present-day guys I might fall in love with. He equates God making him go from
1: gay to straight, turning people into ferrets. It's fundamentally against his nature. It would be a miraculous thing. And then he talks about God in terms of being in love with him as opposed to falling in love with some dude on the street. And so these guys, so these guys are icky and they're gross, but they fit right in with the kind of gay celibacy, gay Christian, godliness is not heterosexuality stuff that's critiqued extensively in The Grace of Shame. Basically, you heard how
0: ridiculous it all is in our pig conference commercial. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't, like these guys want to cleanly divide desire and action and then, and then, and then sanctify sinful desire. Uh, Jesus says someone who looks at a woman with a lustful heart is guilty of adultery.
1: No matter how much you talk about the suicidal teenager, you can't handle the struggle with his sinful desires. The biblical way of dealing with that teenager is to, yes, offer him our compassion, offer Christ's love and redemptive power. But that power comes to us through repentance.
0: It's simple. Let, let's move on. Let's, let's talk about the second organization that's widely represented at the Revoice Conference. It's called the Spiritual Friendship Movement.
2: So it's a movement founded by Wesley Hill and Ron Belgal. Hill is the first listed keynote speaker. At Revoice Belgao is a workshop presenter Uh, The other keynote speaker Eve Tushnet Is a listed contributor At their website Which is Spiritualfriendship.org I'm sorry But this is where I think it just gets creepy
1: Uh, Citing examples Like David and Jonathan They advocate for Monogamous Lifelong Covenantal
0: As in Vowed You take vows celibate gay friendships so so let's just stop right there you mean vows like like a sacred covenant vow vows we're talking vows here
1: yeah they they cite these uh old monastic sorts of things public vows that were taken between people of the same sex at various parts of medieval church history and what they mean they don't really want to define but they basically mean two really close friends living together and being completely intimate in every way but sexually. What's key, though, is that they don't make any apology for their sexual temptations. They embrace their sexual orientations. They refer to themselves as happy lesbians or as gay. And they advocate friendship and partnership with a member of the same sex that's deep and intimate and also celibate. It, yeah. With Without acknowledging that emotional intimacy ...is deeply connected to sexual intimacy.
2: Yeah, it's it's weird. So here's a quote from Hill's book. We need people who know what time our plane lands, who will worry about us when we don't show up at the time we said we would. We need the assurance that come hell or high water, a few people will stay with us, loving us in spite of our faults, and caring for us when we are down. More than that, we need people for whom we can care. Recovering the historic Christian practice of vowed friendships can help with all these needs. (laughs) Jake started to touch on it there. My argument against that is
0: that it seems like it's really obviously a bad idea for two homosexual men to live together and do everything a married couple would do, I guess, except to have sex. I find it hard to believe that they wouldn't have sex. It sounds, when we talk about vows, like, I don't know, we're really skirting towards the edge of of, of sacraments, right? Of of just making another sacrament, making one up that's, that's not anywhere in Scripture. Finally it just seems like a really bad idea like let's grow up people this is it gives me the willies
1: and their argument against you is that well you just don't get it they don't have sex i as the person
0: arguing against them have assumed have read into it a level of sexuality that or eroticism yeah yeah,
1: and you need to get your mind out of the gutter they can hold hands and do all kinds of things without ever having sex it's not they never
0: said it's a sacrament it's okay to have friends Yeah, well, okay, so we actually just spent an afternoon trying to really pin down what exactly they do mean by this. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Yeah, these guys are really cagey about it, and
1: you can't really pin them down on what they want this to look like specifically. What they really want to do is basically give celibate gay Christians a family that's covenantal with the only real boundaries they're willing to define being uh, sexual. And then, and then they want to turn to us and say, well, the burden of proof is on you to prove that it's a sin or that it's going to somehow lead to sin. But what we say in return is that, no, it's actually on you that what you're doing is godly
0: and isn't just taking fire into your lap. Which it looks like it obviously is. It seems like it's incredibly dangerous. It seems like it's obviously a bad idea.
2: But it's certainly not called for in the Bible in any way. And, and so the, the burden of proof is on them. On them
0: to prove that, that this is a good thing.
1: Yeah, but instead of proving that, instead of being clear about what it is that they're advocating, they just are incredibly vague.
2: So there is someone who's engaged with this stuff a lot more than we have, and that is Sam Alberry. Sam Alberry, who is
0: actually one of the founders of livingout.org. We were making fun of him in the commercial a little bit earlier there. In the pig sketch just now. Yeah, so obviously he must be be cool with the spiritual friendship thing, right, guys?
2: Well, you'd think so. But here's a quote from him as he's reviewing Wesley Hill's book. Right, which again is called Spiritual Friendship,
0: Finding Love in the Church as a Celibate Gay Christian. That's the book, and this is Sam Albury reviewing it, and he says what?
2: Um, My greatest concern is what this something more... Hill calls for should properly be. He exhorts us to reconsider the place of covenanted friendships in the life of the church, but it seems to me that resurrecting vowed friendships will only add to the current confusion about friendship. It's hard to imagine such friendships not being confused with sexual partnerships. We also need to be mindful of the potential danger, particularly for two friends with same-sex attraction, of fostering unhealthy intimacy and of emotional over-dependency.
0: So so just to be clear, here's Sam Alberry, who we disagree on about all kinds of things, who identifies as... Same-sex attracted Same-sex attracted is what he would an say An SSA Christian. Yes, yes, yes. But he's saying, uh, let's hold on, guys. This spiritual friendship stuff sounds like it could lead to sexual intimacy, sounds like it could lead to unhealthy emotional... Sounds basically like there's all kinds of problems that he doesn't think Hill has properly addressed in his book on spiritual right. friendship. He is
1: completely uncomfortable and opposed to the spiritual friendship movement. So this guy, Sam Albury, is opposed to the people who are behind this revoice thing. And Sam Albury is somebody who's not, who nobody should be behind. Right. But this is this is going too far for even Sam Albury. Albury looks at this stuff and says, whoa, 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 guys. This is taking it a little too far. In this sort of living out gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian world, it's really just a question of uh, where they wanna draw the lines because what they don't wanna do is subscribe ultimately to biblical holiness. And so it is a bunch of Pharisees arguing over where the lines should be. But when Sam Albury
0: is to the right of you, you know you've got a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We should, we should be wrapping this up guys. What is so the, so the major argument of the devil was I think the one that stung the most for me at least was at least these guys are trying to live in that space of loving people of showing compassion to people. Yeah, sure, they may be getting everything wrong, but At least they're out there doing something. Their something is better than our nothing, I think it was you said, Jake.
1: Yeah, but I was lying. Right. (laughs) Because their something is destructive. That's right. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is, in fact, celebrating everything about being effeminate, about Mm -hmm. being gay, short of gay sex. And they're also promoting practices that will... For many people, lead to gay sex, right? And that that thing that you read during that devil's advocacy what, section—what queer treasure will we? What take queer treasure will we take to, to heaven? The to the New Jerusalem? Yep. Into the New Jerusalem? How blasphemous mm-hmm. is that? It's so evil.
0: What what bestiality treasure? I mean, let's just do the let's just do the formula again. What stripper treasure? What murderer treasure will we take to heaven?
1: What what will the worshippers of Moloch bring in their hands? That's right. Mm. And it's just awful and so short-sighted, and that's what happens when you have a truncated view of holiness, where holiness is just about not doing this one act. It's the kind of thing that Jesus takes apart with the Pharisees all the time. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart already. These guys are all look-don't-touch people, Mm -hmm. and not just look-don't-touch, but really cultivate the looking.
0: One of, one of the reasons that the devil, the, the real devil, and, and as you were portraying him, can be slippery here is because there really isn't a lot. They're not defining these things. What is critical? Do you just mean, do I like Rocket Man? Elton John wrote it. It's real slippery, and it can mean whatever you want, and it's intentionally that way. And it was so frustrating this afternoon as we were working on this episode, trying to pin these guys down. Trying to on- gin up enough.
1: Actual, this them saying this is exactly what we believe and what we think this means, and it's hard they to do. Don't want to do it, and it's hard to
0: do. And, and if, maybe, if if they listened to this episode and wanted to argue with us, they'd say, "Oh, well, you know, we actually didn't mean any of what you guys thought we meant." And okay. it's like, okay, define what you mean. Define then. what you mean. Give us something solid to push against. It's unfair. It's unbiblical. It's uncharitable. It's wicked to just talk in vague generalities, use these progressive bug buzzwords in such a way that no one can ever actually pin you down. It's dishonest. It's breaking the commandment against dishonesty at the very least to not just tell people what you mean. I'm not going to take this conference to task for anything else. I want to take it to task for that. You can't actually figure out what they're talking about by reading their literature. And I just have no patience for that. I think it's... It's wicked.
2: Yeah, you have to figure out what they imply, what's going on around the edges, what they're getting at by hinting at it. Yeah, they're always asking these questions.
0: They're using the Socratic method, I guess. They're asking these questions, and it's just like, come on, guys. Make what, an assertion. What they do
1: is they seize the moral high ground, mm-hmm. and then they try to convince you that you have to argue on their terms, and what they're really doing is dragging you down in the mud, and you end up
0: wrestling in the mud with the pigs. Yeah, the person and, that says, I want you to join my pig-attracted movement does not have the moral high ground. It may be that there are people, there might be some random person that goes to this conference that really wants to show real compassion and lead real homosexuals to real repentance. But the burden of proof is on them to show us that that that's what they mean because there's no reason for us to assume that based on what they've given us.
1: And the more we've talked about it and the more we've worked on this episode, the more I've questioned whether or not we shouldn't have just run our pigging out ad Mm -hmm. and then just laughed hysterically for about 30 minutes. Yeah. Because it seems to me like the only way to respond to these guys is to take a big step back and mock them and do the trick. Let's replace homosexuality or same-sex or gay with pedophilia. Let's replace
0: it with bestiality. Let's put pigs in there, Mm -hmm. and then let's see how that holds up. And and some of what I wanted to say early some of what some of what this these guys say again they'll be if you call them on it they'll be very slippery but there's some frightening stuff that they say Ed Shaw I believe it was him but he's he's one of the other founders and main kind of head honchos or whatever of livingout.org he wrote this weird article about how it was okay for him to want to be united with something that he loved here it is my response to male
1: beauty is, at one level, very natural. In desiring a beautiful man and wanting to become one with him, I'm responding to real beauty, as all human beings tend to whenever, wherever they discover it in any
0: overwhelming form. Yeah, That's why when I see the at Lisa, I want to become one with it.
1: What the heck are you
0: talking about, Ed?
1: <laughs> I think that will help me next time I see a beautiful man and find myself wanting to be united to him. I am at one level just responding to beauty as I'm created to respond to it. There's little I can do to avoid this natural response. We're all wired to appreciate beauty. That's just how we work.
0: Gross. Gross. Now, Jake, you're a married man. What if you told your wife, you know, every time I see another woman out there, I just, it's the natural thing for me to want to be united with her. How do you think that that would go over? You think she'd like that? I don't think she would like that very much. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to tell you that that's a heck of a lot more natural than what Shaw's talking about. Uh, that's right. Regardless, it's, a, it's this thing that the Bible calls lust, and it's sinful.
0: Well, I guess that wraps it up. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening today, and I want to thank our sponsor, Celebed. Now, Ben, we should talk to them about the additional bargain that you can get if you
2: order now. Oh, man, Nathan, I'm so glad you brought that up. Well, Celebed is offering for a limited time their friendship bed. That's right. They don't just make mattresses. Their friendship bed is a bed for you and your friend to lie in, chastely, equipped with a thick wooden divider between the two of you and a nice size hole so that you can reach out and hold one another's hands. Sounds like the perfect recipe for chastity. It is. It's the perfect recipe for men who want to be united with a good night's sleep.
0: Hey, thanks again for listening today, everybody. You can follow the links in the show notes to see our series of articles written by pastors Andrew Dion and Andy Halsey, taking on Greg Johnson's response to the whole uh, Revoice Conference thing. You can also order the book Grace of Shame, which we've alluded to quite a bit, at warhornmedia.com.
1: And if podcasts are your thing, which they clearly, clearly are, they are, yeah, you can go listen to us uh, discuss all of this stuff at length in uh, season one of The World We Made, where we start at the very beginning from how we got to the place we are today in our culture with homosexuality and explore how we got from there to where we are today and what role the church has played and what we can do moving forward all throughout that whole season. And good news. Good news season two of the world we made is currently underway
2: all that right. is
0: absolutely right I think we're at like episode two or three when this drops and it's all about the subject of fatherhood so if you had a dad or if you want to be a good dad or you if know you know somebody else who has a dad if or, you know someone who has a dad if, if you had a bad dad if you didn't get along with your dad if you have daddy issues or if you just want to know how to be a good father to your own kids or if you're married to someone that you'd like to be a good father to your kids and you'd like to help that person these are all good reasons to listen to this podcast which is available now wherever fine podcasts are downloadable hey Ben, you engineered this podcast. Yep. Jake, you executive produced it along with myself. True or false? Very true. I produced it myself. Is that true, Nathan? Yes, it is. And until next time, folks. Stay sane.